Louis Alphalander, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901, and we'll get right to you. That we will, and you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning by using our area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. There you go. Couldn't be easier than that. That. Pretty simple. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you can use the telephone. You can get in touch with us. Well, now you're talking about a telephone. I saw a deal on the internet the other day, uh-huh. just to get off subject a little bit. Right. They took a old rotary phone mm-hmm. and give it to a bunch of younger millennials. Millennials. <laughs> they couldn't figure out how to use it. <laughs> it was pretty aggravating to use. I can tell you. Oh boy. yeah, they were, but it did work. That is one technology I don't mind see go away. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't want to go back to those, though. And I do remember them well. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Rotary dials and party lines. Yeah. You pick up the phone, I'm on the line. <laughs> and boy, they get mad. They oh, get, yeah. They get angry with you, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, geez. How does that relate to cars? <laughs> Who knows? You know, we were talking before the show, and of course, locally, we've been having a lot of rain. Yeah. I yeah, mean, last week has been tremendously rough weather. Every single day it's rained and rained a lot. And, of course, what happens with a lot of rain, the first day it's not a big deal. It runs off through the drains and, and the stuff. Grain, the ground soaks it up. It's still dry, so yeah. it soaks in and the rest of it runs off. After a week to ten days, the ground is saturated. It really can't absorb any more water. And most of the runoffs have gotten full. Sure. So now you start getting flooding. And what happens with flooding, of course, it runs generally into roads because right. every subdivision and every road bed is generally kind of cut down a little bit. So it's a little bit lower than the property around it for the most well, part. And you remember when we used to have a ditch in mm-hmm. front of the house that held the water. The water stayed out the road. And you could drive just about anywhere in town when it rained. Right. Well, now the... Road is actually the ditch. Yeah, nobody really wants ditches in their yards anymore, so they put culverts and stuff, and those have to be a limited size. Sure. And the ditch could kind of overflow, and it could haul a whole lot more water, but that culvert is a set size. Exactly. And when enough water gets in it, then that's all it's going to haul. It's going to continue to flow, but it's going to take a while, and so it starts to back up and get into the roads and such as that. And like we said before on the show a number of times, any part of a car that rotates – is going to produce friction, and right. friction will destroy the part. So it has to be vented because it has petroleum in it. It has to be lubricated, and therefore it has to be vented. <clears throat> That's correct. Anything that is lubricated is generally going to have some type of petroleum product to lubricate it. When you stir and churn petroleum, you produce pressure. Correct. So, so it has to be vented to the atmosphere. And the problem with that is vehicle makers try to do a good job of venting them to protect you know, sure. they put caps on and do all these kinds of things. They put them up in higher places. Move, move the vents up to higher spots. But you got to remember, it's not a submarine. It is not waterproof. Cars are somewhat water resistant. Correct. But they are not ever waterproof. Yeah, they don't make good submarines. No, not at all. And the problem is, once water gets into any part that's lubricated, a number of things start to take place. We're going to talk about that. We'll catch up with right. these phone calls. We've got John online. Good morning, John. Hello. Yes, sir. Hello. Hey, John, you there? I guess we must have lost John. Let's try Mark. Hey, Mark, you there? Hello? Hey. Hello. Uh, we must be having some phone trouble. Yeah, apparently morning. we're having some phone trouble. I'm not sure what's going on with that. So maybe try calling back. Don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of go, when you go back to those, some of those uh, rotary dial yeah. phones, you know? Let's see, we were talking about cars and, right. and, and what have you and how they're all lubricated. Take, for instance, a transmission on a car. 
Well, it's full of transmission fluid, which is a petroleum-based fluid. So when those gears start to turn and churn, they're going to produce pressure. If it's not vented to the atmosphere and the pressure starts to build up, it's going to start blowing seals out. Correct. It has to be vented somehow out mm-hmm. of that case. That that pressure has to get out somehow. And if the vent wasn't there or if the vent that's there is stopped up, right, it's going to start finding the weakest point, which is going to be the seals. Yeah, one of the seals or a gasket or something is going to end up blowing out. The pressure is going to get out sure. one way or another. It'll build up enough. to. It's kind of like a Coke can. If you shake it up enough, the pressure is going to build, and it eventually it's going to find the weakest spot in that can and come out. Right. Try these lines again. We got John on line. Hey, John, you there? Yes, good morning. Good morning. Great, great. Thank you. I have a 2021 Toyota Tundra. Uh-huh. And starting in 2019, they quit putting a transmission cooler on the car. Okay. And part of the claim was that they changed the transmission fluid, then it would take a higher temperature. But a lot of people are experiencing temperatures 250 degrees just normally driving. That'd be way, way too high. Going up a few hills and Mm -hmm. and whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get a read from you as to what you thought about that and what you would do if it was your truck. Yeah, I think they still have a cooler on. They took the auxiliary coolers off. You, know, you got the cooler, I think, that goes through the radiator at the bottom, but they don't have the air cool, which they used to have both. Don't it, think so. And I may be wrong. I haven't really seen that many well, we of had, them. But yeah, if it has no cooler at all, yeah, you're definitely going to have some type of issue. Your 175 degrees is about normal operating temperature on any vehicle. And as that temperature starts to rise, it exponentially kills the fluid so they have a lot of people that have gotten on youtube and -hmm. and what they're basically saying that a normal drive to your daily being a daily driver Mm -hmm. and going somewhere where you hey you still there john yeah i'm still here somebody was ringing okay yeah that would definitely be a problem i I don't know what they're planning with that i have to look into it to tell you the truth i just haven't you know it's new enough to where we're really not seeing them yet any of them with problems are going back to the dealerships because still in the warranty so we haven't really experienced it in our shop but i would definitely be alarmed by that and it seems to me what you'd want to do is put some type of an auxiliary cooler on it, which is relatively easy on most vehicles. In fact, I've got an article on my site about installing an auxiliary cooler in the right way and the wrong way. And what you don't want to do, a lot of people sell a little kit, and it's just a little flat radiator type thing, and they stick like some plastic ties and cram it up against the radiator. That is worse than doing nothing at all. It has to be mounted. It has to be spaced away from the radiator with an air gap, and it has to be installed correctly. But I tell you what, I will look into that more, John, and next week I'll have, I'll have some more information on it. I just haven't seen it yet. I hadn't heard, really heard a problem with it. But again, I normally, I'm about three years behind on seeing big problems like that. I understand, I understand that. Well, I went to the dealer and mm-hmm. talked to them about it and they said, well, you know, you don't want to violate your warranty by putting something on there like that. I actually bought the Toyota part for everything except the cooler itself. So mm-hmm. in other words, all the pieces, which would be the trans, which would be the transmission thermostat. Right. That's that's uh, that's about one hundred and fifty dollars. Right. And then the, the metal tubes that go from the, toward the transmission mm-hmm. uh, and all the way up to the front where you would put the cooler on there. That's about another eighty dollars. Right. So when I got all done with everything except the heat exchanger. It's three hundred dollars. Yeah. And then at the same time, I having the dealer say, "Don't put that on there. You'll have problems." 
but that they have a they have a an alarm that goes off on the transmission if mm-hmm. you do it. Of course, I never have got that going yet. But what I found out that people were getting around 250 degrees all the time, and I just didn't think that was good for the parts inside the transmission. I wouldn't think so. No, 150 degrees. That's that's pretty hot. That's gonna definitely shorten the life of that fluid. I mean, if nothing else, if you were kind of alarmed about violating your warranty, what I would probably be doing is changing that fluid real, real frequently. You know, particularly if you're towing anything with it. I mean, I'd probably change the fluid out maybe every 35, 40,000 miles. And once it gets out of warranty, go ahead and put your cooler on there if that's a concern. But I just don't think unless you do something improper that restricts that flow, and then they could maybe come back and say, hey, well, you did this. But Well, what I understood was that the transmission cooler before was part of the condenser for the air conditioner. It they could had be. A, le- well, a section of that. Yeah, a lot of more. Purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but now they've done away with that. And so they said, I just don't think making the fluid take a higher temperature is the answer. Well, I'm sure they're still using WS, which is the same fluid they've been using for years. And again, you, know, you run it at 250 degrees. That's, that's definitely, that's I mean, hot. you can look at a chart and life versus temperature and as the temperature goes up the life falls way way down so i'm really not sure that's an interesting topic glad you brought that up i'll research it this week and find out and i'll tell you a little more about it next week do you want me to call again next week or you can if you uh, like or just listen to the show or you can send me an email but like i said i can go to service data and find out exactly what's going on with that and talk some people may figure out what's the thought behind it i can't imagine what the thought process would be beyond behind that other than less parts cost less money and don't cause service problems you know uh, that's normally not toyota's way but a lot of the manufacturers anything they can leave off that vehicle they're going to leave it off if they think they can get by with it they they added that thing called toyota spent Right, and that gave you a lot of safety features in there i guess this is their way for paying for that (laughs) who knows man Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Lewis. I'll be listening next week. Okay, sure. John. Thanks for calling, man. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. All right. See if we can catch one more a little before the break. We got Mark online. Good morning, Mark. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great, Good sir. Good morning. Cool. I can hear you this time. <laughs> I've, got, I've been trying to find the cause of a rattle in the back of my car, okay. and I'm about ready to give up, and I just thought I'd call you guys just mm-hmm. because, you know, it's the time of the show, and I thought you might have some ideas. It sounds kind of like... Sort of a rattle or sort of a um, a creaking sound, it, as if something's loose somewhere in the trim somewhere, you know, like a bit of plastic uh-huh. knocking against something else when I go over a bump. And I've taken everything I can out. I've taken all the toolkit out, all the plastic trays that go under the the, uh, the trunk lid thing. I've taken everything out that I can possibly find. There was I have a seven pit adapter kit installed mm-hmm. uh, by a local garage. I don't know if you. I'm sure you do know what it is. It um, gives me like a plug socket to put a light board on the back of the car when right. I'm carrying bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the module for that was loose, but I've fixed that securely now, so that's mm-hmm. not it. And I, I just cannot figure out. Well, let me ask you a question, it. Mark. What brings it on? What causes it to manifest? Is it like hitting a bump or a dip in the road? Yeah, or? It's, it's going over any kind of bump, even a really tiny little bump. Literally just pull out of my driveway, drive down the road a few feet, I can hear it. But I can't make it do it when the car is still. I've tried shaking it. I've tried rocking it side to side. No matter right. what I do, I've tried banging on all the bits of trim. <laughs> and which, what it's kind of car is it, Mark? Lexus RX 300, 2006. How many miles on it? 103,000. You know, the first thing I would want to check, and the mounts 
on the struts in the rear. The upper mounts have had some problem with that. It's uh. rubber and the where the metal and the rubber is bonded together, that can separate. And it will give you a squeak, kind of a knock, kind of a bump noise. It's going right. to be when the wheel is impacted. And it's kind of hard when you're pushing up and down because the motion is relatively slow. Yeah, I you see know, what you mean, yeah. Whereas when you hit a bump, you see that wheel immediately jumps up. It's pushing the strut up, and the body, the inertia wants to hold it in place. So that's when that yeah. part is loaded. The only way you might be able to find it is if you can get someone, get it on a lift, you know, a wheel lift where the wheels are on the ground, get someone under there to put their fingers on that spring and have someone jounce the car, and you might feel it in the spring. Right. But that's a relatively common cause of that problem, and I know you can't find it jouncing the car very often. There's also another. Yeah. There's also another thing under there that can cause a rattle type noise like that is the sway bar. Yeah. What happens? Oh, it's got okay. it's got two ball joint links on the end of the bar where the bar hooks to the strut and then the the link hooks to the bar. Then the bar is bolted to the body or to the frame structure across the back. I have seen those bushings go bad, right. and the bar will actually rattle in the bushing because the the rubber gets hard and it's. It gets bigger than it should be, so the bar gets loose and it rattles in there sometimes. Easy way to to diagnose that is just take the the link off and tie the bar up to the the frame. Temporarily disconnect it and go drive the car. And go drive it again and see if the noise goes away. If Uh, it does, then you're in the right And that's relatively simple. It's just two little links that come down. Just disconnect the link from the control arm, get some duct tape or something, just kind of tape it up where it can't get tangled up in anything, and go drive it temporarily and see if the noise is gone. If noise is still there, yeah. I'd be looking at the, uh, at the upper top. mounts. But yeah. uh, if noise is gone, it's probably something in that sway bar system. Yeah, it sounds like something I'm going to have to drop it into the garage for that. I can't believe I spent my entire Sunday pulling bits out of the boot of the car. <laughs> <and> something mechanical. <laughs> I was convinced it was something loose somewhere in the boot. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah those, those so can fool you, you pretty easily. Yeah. 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 Of course, alternatively, you can always put it on a ship and send it over here, and I'll find that for you. <laughs> oh, I wish I could. Man. I wish I could. You need to open a London branch. <laughs> yeah, open a London shop. That's right. <laughs> yeah, or or just just create an academy and get other garages to sign up to it. Like that would work. The academy model, I think, would be good for you. <laughs> there you go. All right, <laughs> Mark. All right, guys. Thanks for coming. Have a nice weekend. Uh, bye bye. Bye. Mark Wadham from London, uh-huh. England. But yeah, that's. I would say probably a good chance you can find that in one of those two spots. Oh, particularly yeah. if you can't common. duplicate it, jouncing. That, a lot of times, too, if you pick lift the car and try to jounce it, well, now the wheels aren't on the ground, so it's or not yeah, going to you're taking it. a load off You have there. to have a wheel-type lift to hold and it, it up. And it's got to be like a sudden jolt. Yeah, sudden quick jerk. That's yep. right. Ever. Hey, we got to take our first little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh, no. It's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair. Deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going. Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, Think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. 
And with AgCo's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape. So, how much does Fallon charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision, too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at AgCo Automotive. AgCo, it's the place to go. Any automotive questions you may have, just give us a call, 291-6901. Put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere. Inside the continental United States. Put a 01 in front of that. You can get anywhere in the world. There you go. <laughs> Our first caller was talking about the transmissions uh, uh-huh. without the cooling all. We generally do not see that kind of stuff for about three years because right. most of the complaints are going back to the dealership well, because they're under warranty. Exactly. They're not going to bring it to me for the most part for that. But you know, during the break, we kind of looked it up, and that is a fact. It does not have a cooler on it. I don't know exactly what their reasoning is behind that other than no a money-saving thing. And like I said, Toyota is generally not as bad about that as some of the others. So right. I can say if they get by with it, pretty much you can expect coolers to be a thing of the past, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. But we were talking just a little bit about the way manufacturers think about things. And if you get 100,000 miles out of a vehicle – then you should be happy. The right. warranty's up. You're done. Then if the transmission goes out, then you're very likely to buy another vehicle, or a lot of people are, because of some of these eight-speed transmissions, you easily talk in $6,000 plus dollars yeah. for, for a transmission for the thing. So only thing I can see is what, part of the planned optional system. I, I can't imagine what's going on with that, but I will research it a little more and find out. Figure out. Yeah. yeah try to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Get some more information on a little later on. Let's go back to our phone lines with Matt. Good morning, Matt. Hey, guys. I got a 2018 GMC Duramax uh-huh. 2500. Yes, and um, I know you guys talk a lot about, you know, not modifying things mm-hmm. um, on vehicles, but I would like to put a cold air intake in an exhaust on that. And just wanted to get your opinion on if that's something that would harm the vehicle or you know kind of just what, what's your opinion on that man i tell you what mark they cause a lot of issues in that generally they're not nearly as water resistant as the factory system so when you drive down a water a road with high water and i'm not talking about over the grill i'm just talking about some high water on it and somebody comes flying around you and creates a wake and it washes up onto your truck you're very likely to suck water into the intake which is going to be a new engine be got not on that, but they're not nearly as fire resistant if the engine has to cough back or something like that. I don't like them. I have seen a lot of cars come in with engines that are hydrolock torn up because of those things. Check engine lights. Yeah. It can even on certain, not so much on a diesel, but on gas engines, it can throw a check engine light because they don't shield the dust and stuff off the mass airflow meter. They can change all that. I can't really see a big advantage to it on the road. Yeah, as far as driving, I mean, if you were racing the truck, you want cold air because it's denser and all that stuff. Personally, I think the risk that you're assuming is probably a lot higher than any benefits you're going to see from it. But I would normally stay away from that kind of stuff. If you do just decide you got to do it, be sure you save every single piece you take off. Because what we see is people have put this stuff on a car and they just dispose of all the original stuff. Then they find out they got a problem and they want to put it back like it was. And the cost of buying all that original stuff is just astronomical. I mean, if you, you can still get if it, if you can even get it anymore, it goes obsolete on you. 
But, yeah, we've had to go back and put all the original stuff on there, and you can easily spend up to a grand just on the original components to put it all back like it was. So I would personally recommend against it. I just don't think you're going to see any big advantage to it. Normally the people who are touting this kind of stuff are the people who are selling it, you know, and I I just don't really see a huge advantage there, particularly on a truck where you may be running down high, your roads with high water on them and all that kind of stuff. But if you do just decide you're going to do it, be sure you keep all your old stuff. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, from a performance and like gas mileage. Not going to affect your gas mileage one way or the other. I know they claim it will. It will absolutely cannot. Air filters and air intakes cannot affect gas mileage on a modern vehicle, no matter what you do. If you had a totally restricted air filter, it would not change your fuel mileage. You would lose some power because as soon as you restrict the air, it just cuts the injectors back to match. It's automatically self-balancing. So it's not going to give you any more mileage. It's really not going to give you any more performance. It's going to give you a lot more noise, and it's not nearly as resistant to the outside and maybe another maintenance issue. And maybe another maintenance issue on it. I've looked at a lot of these claims and stuff, and nobody who with any type of credentials is really backing that up. It's just the company's making claims for the most part. And like I said, gotcha. there, there is definitely a risk of water getting into your intake and causing big problems. Not that they're noisier. When you accelerate, woo, you got that intake noise that the other one is designed to hold down. So I would probably advise against it. And like I said, just if you do, make sure you save everything in case you want to put it back like it was. I think I'll just save my money instead. That's, <laughs> That's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> Wise choice. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks All for right. calling, man. Bye-bye. Yeah. All right. We're going back to our final lines. Uh, is it Amish? Hey, Luis. It's hey. Amish from Brownsburg, Indiana. How are you doing? I am Good doing great, morning. sir. Good morning. Hey, I have a, this question. I do oil changes for friends and family, and lately I notice those uh, whenever I change a spark plug uh, on a specially GDI engine. Mm-hmm. They have like a lot of carbon buildup. Is there a way to avoid that situation, or you have to just open up every forty, fifty thousand miles intake planum and scrape those uh, carbon off? Yeah, that's a series of of different things causing that. You know, number one, with direct injection, you don't have any fuel in the intake, and fuel was the biggest cleaner of all that kind of stuff. So now the fuel is being injected right. straight into the combustion chamber. So you get some buildup in your in your intake system a lot of that is coming from oil ingestion most of the newer engines do use a certain amount of oil and when it all gets into there it starts doing that other than cleaning it out when it occurs i just don't know that there's any preventative measures you can take for it i've seen all kind of gadgets and gizmos that have been designed for it but i really hadn't seen anything that works very well so using a good quality oil and doing it like more often than not. More often all changes. Like come on, I think. Yes, more often all changes definitely will help because what happens with oil, it goes through a viscosity shear as it gets older. And with some of these recommendations where people are saying, oh, you can go 10,000, 20,000 miles, all change. To me, that is absolutely ludicrous. And really, the right. interval of all changes does not need to be based on miles at all. It needs to be based on the way you drive the vehicle. Because if you are driving long, long trips at high speed, you can go much longer on oil than if you're putting around town. You know, the way oil tends to clean itself is that once it gets to full temperature, it's above 200 degrees on the oil temperature, 212, it starts to boil any moisture that's in there. It turns to vapor, and the PC system sucks it out. But that's going to require about a half hour of driving minimum at a higher speed. You know, when you get in your car and you drive – five miles, 10 miles, shut it off. That does not occur. And all that moisture goes right through the filter because of the liquid. 
So you really, y'all is going to contaminate, even though the petroleum may still be there, you got very, very contaminated product. All those contaminants are going right through your filter. So I think you do yourself a big bit of disservice. Yeah, if you change the oil a little more often, also use a good grade of gasoline that does not produce as much carbon. You know, those would be the type of things if I was looking for a preventive measure. Beyond that, it's just a matter of getting there and cleaning it out if and when it occurs. Got it. Thank you, Louis. I appreciate it. Thank right. you kindly. Thanks, man. Thanks for calling. All right, let's see. We go one more call here. We got Joe in line. Good morning, Joe. Hey, good morning, Lewis. Uh, two quick things. I want to tell y'all I appreciate your shop's work on my Ram 3500 air conditioning. It was one of them big overhaul jobs. Oh, goodness. And, uh, right. Yeah. did a great job. Well, thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. And I really appreciate it. It was <laughs> a lot. I like being able to point the air at my feet if I want. That's I right. Hot. <laughs> Everything working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was well worth the money. All right. So, second thing, same truck. Just the other day, I'm starting to. Uh, it's about time for the batteries to be replaced. Uh-huh. I think I got five years out of this pair of batteries. Wow, that's and, good. Uh, so. Now, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get another pair of batteries. I'm not going to replace just the bad one. I'm gonna no, I will change the pair. Yeah. So, okay, they got more expensive batteries like these Optima GPCs. Right. They got regular batteries. What should I put in this truck that will give me the best service? What do you think? You know, I like a good battery, good brand name battery. The Optima is a dry cell battery, which offers certain advantages. I don't know if they're really worth the cost difference. Substantial cost difference. It's a significant cost yeah. difference. And down to that, but right. they're, not, they're not a direct fit for the most part. They make like three or four different batteries that fit everything. So it's not a direct fit like a group oh, such and such okay. would be. I would go with a good battery, but I would not go with like the long extended warranty batteries. You can buy like a good, say, three four five year battery when you right. start going to the seven eight year battery they're really no different they just charge you more money and giving you a longer warrant they just playing a numbers <laughs> game and the, i got it yeah the numbers are stacked in their favor but i'm real big on a good brand name battery you know something like an ac delco and not their cheap line they got a cheap line they got a premium line motocraft if they make a battery for that size we've had good luck with those and I, do you know if, is it a group 65 in there you know, you know, I, I would have to go look. I didn't. Uh, I didn't check. Yeah, if if it, if it has a Group sixty five, which a lot of them did, Motocraft makes a replacement because they use a sixty five in a lot of Ford products, and that's okay. a good battery. I've had real good luck with those. I don't buy the long, long warranty type batteries just because they right. they just charge you more money and give you a longer warranty. But I do like a good right. name brand battery. All right, so like a like a uh, the, what about the Mopar factory batteries? Mopar doesn't make that battery. Somebody makes it for them, and oh, I'm not okay. sure who is making it. We generally use either the Delco or the Motocraft because they're two Motocraft. OEM replacements, and they right. make replacement batteries for other people. I'm sure the okay. OEM battery would probably be good. I mean, if the original ones lasted five years, that's that's pretty darn good, especially in this well, area. Yeah. Well, this truck's 16 years old. I've yeah. put batteries in it like three mm-hmm. or four times. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, I know what to do. Okay. okay. Appreciate it. All right, man. All right, sir. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks. All right, take our second quick little break. Be right back. Oh. 
Linda, I've been so tense lately. Can you recommend a masseuse? Oh, have I got a massage guy. Johan Thundercloud. He's Swedish Native American who uses classic deep tissue massage with natural healing methods. That sounds interesting. His deep tissue green pine cone massage is amazing. Along with the piercing eagle claw technique. Working your muscles with a rhythmic screech. When you hear that, you know it's working. I bet. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, check out the team at Agco Automotive. We keep it simple with high-quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And don't forget about Agco's general inspection, an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so your car will perform for the long term. One thing, though. Do you bleed easily? What? Johan will want to know. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. My name is Louis Alvazan. I am here with Brian Terry. Between two of us, we will try to answer any automotive question you might have. We appreciate all the calls we got this morning. Make yeah, the show do. go really quick. We were talking before the calls about driving on a flooded road right. and the types of damages that that can occur. And like I said, the first thing that comes to me is the transmission because that's vented. And those vents are up as high as they can practically put them, generally up at the top of the case somewhere. Right, and then most of them have a hose that kind of filters off toward the back. So right. as you're driving down the road, the air passing past it kind of pulls everything to the back of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. But there again, if you get water up over that level – the water's going right. to find its way and back inside the water does not have to be that high. Water as much as maybe three or four inches on the road, when someone passes, there is a surge that splashes up. It is like a little tiny tsunami. It's traveling along at a higher level, and that can easily wash over the transmission. Sure. Another thing is when your bumper or your front air dam hits the water, it's going to push the water away, but whatever goes under it is going to swell when it comes under it. Correct. And it can wash up and get in there. Believe me, it gets in. Oh, yeah. And once it gets in, it's done. Once right. an automatic transmission gets water in it, you can flush it, you can drain it, you can fill it, you can do whatever you want. You're it's never done. Gonna get, you're never going to get all the water out of right. it. Right. Well, the clutches, the clutch material. Because they run in uh, They're running oil. in oil all the time. Right. So they can't use a petroleum-based glue on them. So what they're using is a water-based glue because, so that they can run in petroleum. Right, because the water's never supposed to be in that unit. Right. Those clutches are water-soluble. You can take a set of clutches out of a transmission. In fact, we did this one time just to, just to demonstrate see. it. Yeah. And we took a set of perfectly good clutches, threw them in a bucket of water, and within 24 hours, it was just metal. All oh, yeah. the clutch material come off. Once the water gets in there, you're pretty much, it may fail today, it may fail a week from now, it may fail a month from now. It's going to fail. But it's going to fail. A year from now, maybe, in some very odd cases. But, yeah, you're not going to get it out once it gets in there. So that is one of the problems. Now, like we talked to the caller with the cold intake air system, a lot of intake systems have to draw air from in the front of the car somewhere. And you have the same issue with that. The factory system is designed with a number of baffles and bypasses shaped in a certain way that it really prevents that. And it even gets into those. It does. We had a a little Toyota Camry, I think it was. This has been a few years ago. And he came through that intersection at Sherwood Forest and Corsi Boulevard, which used to flood. It still floods. Uh, it still, still does, but a lot morning. less. Yeah, they got. They, I think they got a $12 million grant to fix that. And, yeah, it still uh, hadn't done anything. Yeah, they made it better. 
But he came through there faster than he should have been going, uh-huh. and his car died. He was able to coast to our shop. We went out and pushed him into the parking lot, right? and the motor was torn up. I mean, once that water enters the intake, it doesn't take very much. That piston is coming up compressing the fuel and air, and it cannot compress water. A liquid right. does not compress. Exactly. And so when that piston comes up and hits water, the rod is still coming up. It's going to buckle the rod. It's going to like break it and send to put a put a new window in the block. We call it. That's right. Yeah, ventilate the block. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's going to do a tremendous amount of damage. Sure. And once that has occurred, I've even seen where it just bends the rod, shortens the stroke on the piston uh-huh. to where you don't have compression. So it starts running rough at an idle, but it still runs. But then because the rod is bent, it tears the crankshaft up, sure. and then the whole engine goes south. But, we, yeah, that is a big, 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 big issue. We actually had one. We had the hood off of it. We were, we were changing the engine out because the same thing had happened. It right. got water in it. But the motor would still turn over. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't run anymore. So what we did is we pulled all the spark plugs out of right. it. Right. Spun the motor over, and when the compression pushed that water up, it shot 20 foot up and oh, yeah. hit the ceiling. Yeah, it comes flying out. And the easiest way to detect that, if you just take the air filter out and feel it, if that if air filter's wet, wet yeah, you, most likely there's water yeah, inside it, the engine. It could have got just on the filter and the filter contained it, but most of the time it goes through that filter. Sure. It's got negative pressure drawing it in there, which is drawing the air in. Exactly. And it just gets its way in. Now, when you put a cold air intake on there, that is not really designed for any of that. That's designed to get cold air in, so they've taken the baffles out where the air flows in faster and all that kind of stuff. But the trade-off, you know, all engineering is a trade-off. Sure. You can get some of what you want, but you're going to lose something else when you do. So that's one of the things. You're losing fire resistance if the engine happens to cough back. It doesn't have stuff in there to prevent that for the most part. You're getting a lot more noise and all from that intake because it's not designed with the baffles and everything in there. And you are very much endangering the engine with water ingestion. Exactly. And to me, I've seen engines with it on there, I've seen them off. It's not going to increase, increase mileage. That's out. You can forget that. You're not going to do anything to the intake of that car that's going to increase fuel mileage at all. That's out. All right. If the, if you could, the, the factory would well, be doing The engineers would have already thought of it. They spend billions, right. if not trillions of dollars, trying to get tenths of a mile to the gallon. I mean, because they're under mandate to do it. If there was something they could do, like change the intake and get what they claim, I've seen, oh, you get four miles, five miles a gallon different. Absolutely not. Right. And, you know, I've even still, I still see these commercials, well, change your air filter and get better gas mileage. No, it won't. <laughs> In fact, if anything, a clean air filter is going to give you slightly less mileage because it's going to make more power. It allows right. more air to get in the engine, so it's going to give it more fuel to match it. As you restrict the airflow on any modern engine, it's simply going to cut the fuel back by the same amount. It's all controlled through through the computer. Right. It's the looking power at all may the- go down slightly, but it is not going to reduce the fuel mileage at all in any way. In fact, I saw an article. There was a couple of graduate students did an article on that, uh-huh. uh, uh, did their paper on that for graduation. And they went really, really, they went so far as to take a air filter and wrap it with plastic wrap, which okay. no air was going through, and punch a couple little holes in it. It didn't change fuel mileage at all. At all. So Zero. Yeah, that idea about getting better miles, that's just not going to happen. I know they make claims. They make all kind of claims. Oh, there's all kind of claims but out there. But they really don't substantiate no. them. And I mean, you, if really, they, their claims are vague. Do uh, you have the proof to back it up? Well, that's the thing. I was taking a class one time on logic, and they get into what they call arguments. And arguments are not an argument between two people like we think about. Things like when you hear a commercial on the radio, that's an argument. It's trying to make you do something that they want you to do. Uh-huh. 
and there's actually the fallacies of arguments, and they use certain words and all, like this car has cutting-edge, state-of-the-art technology. Da, da, da. Okay, well, what does that really mean? Right. It doesn't mean Who, anything. Who's yeah. guessing this? I mean, But those words have a positive connotation, so they use that kind of stuff. They do the same thing in this advertising. Right. So technically they haven't lied, but they're really not telling the you anything. Yeah. It just makes you lead you to believe or infer that you're getting something that you're not going to get. Uh-huh. And they don't tell you anything about the risk. I see we got to take our third little break. Be right back with more. Hey, Mike, I'm thinking about boiling some shrimp. You know where I can get a good price? Oh, yeah. I got a shrimp guy, but there's a catch. His name is Remy Labateau, and you have to go down to Lafouche Parish and meet him after midnight. Okay. He'll be behind the dumpster of an abandoned fireworks stand off Louisiana 1, and you have to buy exactly 50.3 pounds. Well, that's oddly specific. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, look no further than the team at Agco Automotive. No hassles, just straight up quality maintenance and repairs. And with Agco's general inspection, they can perform an annual checkup to find any problems and schedule maintenance to keep your car running right, saving you money in the long run. So what kind of seasoning do you use? Oh, I got a seasoning guy, too. How do you feel about traveling to Bangkok? Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Lewis Alvesan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our general manager, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any question you may have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901. And you've got a few minutes left. Yep. And you happen to miss your prime opportunity to get a live answer this morning. You can always visit our website and get your questions answered that way. There you go. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it on in. There you go. Get answered back to you within 24 hours. So that's uh, not only the second best way, but the only oh, other no, way no, yeah. <laughs> to get an answer. <laughs> yeah, just give us a call. We've got to try to help you out today. We've got time for maybe one or two more calls yeah. snuck in there. We do. We were talking a little bit about driving through high water. And I guess the definition of high water is what confuses people because – People think of high water as up to the grill of the car, but Correct. really water four or five inches deep is very likely to do a lot of damage to the car. One other thing that we see a lot is that the wheel bearings on the car also have petroleum in them. Correct. That means the seals are designed to allow the pressure out. They're designed to try to hold water and dirt from getting in, but they're not watertight. Exactly. And when you're driving through water and especially if you have a low profile tire the center of that wheel is not that high off the ground maybe a foot off the ground the water is three or four inches deep but it's sloshing up and hitting the back of that seal now once that water gets through the seal and i'm talking a drop or two what it's going to do is going to start to emulsify the grease inside the bearing which is going to break down its lubricating abilities. But more to the point, or as much to the point, it's also going to start to pit these metal surfaces. You know, you have these these surfaces in there, the balls or the rollers and the races. You get one little pit of rust in there. Now you got a rough spot. And as that thing turns and turns and turns, it'll start to wear. As it starts to wear, the metal that's going away isn't just disappearing. It's generating debris in the grease. So now the grease kind of becomes like a grinding compound because it has hard metal particles in it. That's all going round and round and round. Normally, you drive through some high water, and you don't know anything's going on. About 
three months, maybe later, you start to hear, uh, what's that? What's that noise? And maybe you cut your wheel one way, it gets louder. You cut your wheel the other way, it gets a little quieter. And it may be very, very, very subtle. You may hardly notice it at all. But that is a damaged wheel bearing. At that point, the only option is replacement of the bearing. Exactly. And cars are not like they used to be where you could take it apart and take the bearings out and change just the little one little bearing and pack it and all that. Now Bearings are sealed hub assemblies. Right. And some of those are bolted in to the knuckle, mm-hmm. and some of them are actually pressed into the knuckle. Right. So if that's the case, the knuckle has to be removed from the vehicle. The bearing has to be pressed out of the knuckle. And then the properly press back in the new hub, press back in it, put back on the vehicle. And a lot of times it disturbs the alignment. You have to take have the a front alignment. So, you know, the ones that have the bolt on bearings have the advantage that there's not much labor to change them. Right. But those they, hub bearing assemblies can be expensive. obscenely expensive. They can. The cheap ones normally run $120, $130. The expensive ones can go up four or $500. Easily. Yeah. Some, some of your stuff on your big, trucks and all that they can run way more than that yeah those can get real expensive and you figure there's four of them on the car and they all four went through the same amount they of water. all four went through water that's another thing that we see a lot the vehicle come in making noise and we would tell the guy hey your left front wheel bearing is bad it's screaming it's screaming right i can't hear anything else because that one's making so much noise drowning all the rest of them out we go ahead and we replace that one bearing Go drive the car. Well, now you've got a similar noise, but on the other side, much quieter. So what I always try to tell people, if he's got one bad wheel bounce, well, both wheels likely went through the same thing. Sure. If there is a savings in doing them two at a time as opposed to doing one at a time, let's go ahead and just replace them both. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's just a matter of doing the two in, instead of one, it costs twice as much to do two as one, well, you might as well roll the dice. Because sometimes you will get lucky. Right. So in those cases, we will. But the thing is, you can't get mad at the shop if he replaces the bearing, is screaming and hollering, and then you hear a similar noise on the other side, not really nearly as loud. Because many cases, you just can't hear the second one until you get the first one replaced. And that's where the shop comes in explaining to the customer, hey, we've got a bad one here. Right. We could have another one. Yep. Let's see if we can catch one more phone right. call before we get out of here. We got Chris online. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, guys. Hey, I uh, just going back to your question on things improving gas mileage. Uh, mm-hmm. Ninety four Toyota Tacoma with a two point four mm-hmm. had a mass airflow sensor go out. Yes, sir. Uh, it, and it stumbled for a couple of days. I got a factory OEM replacement, mm-hmm. and the gas mileage actually—I've had the truck for a year. It improved by oh, three or four miles per gallon. Yeah, that'll know. definitely do it because that's what's telling the computer how much fuel how much fuel to add to the air. If it has a wrong calculation for the air, it may be adding way too much fuel. So, yeah, okay, that, that will definitely make a yeah. big difference. All right. And, you know, it, 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 the mileage was like that for a year, and the truck mm-hmm. ran great. I'll tell you and something else like, that'll, that'll do that that's even more obscure than that. If your thermostat goes bad and the engine is running at a lower temperature than it should, your mileage could go in the toilet. Because modern okay. engines don't have a choke on them like they used to. So what they do, they kind of double pulse those injectors when they're cold. If the engine stays cold, it's going to burn a lot more fuel. Or if the sensor feeding that and it just thinks it's cold, it can do the same thing. It may run fine, but the mileage is going to the toilet. Anything that affects a computer system like that can definitely affect it. What I'm saying is stuff from the outside, like an air filter, it's not going to change at all. Because that mass airflow meter is going to detect that less air is coming in. It's just going to cut fuel back to match it. Okay, yeah, I just it's just odd thinking of a sensor that's getting tired or something. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. they'll go off happens. range like that. It happens. 
Okay. Okay. Right, good to know. All right, Chris. It, nice calling, man. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. All right. That's about all the time we got for today. We got to wind it on up and get on out of here. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written view, and fill it out for us, please. Hey, we sure appreciate it when you do that. It moves up in the ranking so more people can listen. More people listen, the longer we can do the show. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.